This is CliffCentral.com. Yeah, look, I, I thought the, the sort of uh, concentration and, and, and the way the guys responded on the field was good at times. Um, I think this is just one of those performances where we can't really put our finger on it while we lost, but we were beaten by, by a better team on the day. Uh, I think credit should go to the Japan, the way they played, the way they stuck it out till the end. And, um, you know, as players, we need to take responsibility and ownership for this performance because it's way below par for us and the standards that we set uh, ourselves. So, um, you know, it, it really is difficult to say where it went wrong, but uh, in saying that it, it wasn't good enough by a long shot. Difficult to say where it went wrong? Well, welcome to it, Rugby Central. What a weekend of World Cup Rugby. Now, we kind of suggested last week in our first episode of Rugby Central, this could be the most exciting World Cup ever. I wasn't quite thinking that Japan beating South Africa 34-32 was going to basically be the catalyst to backing up my theory. But there we have it, one of the biggest upsets in world sports, and I'm not just going to say rugby, I'm not just going to say rugby world cup either. Yes, the Springboks aren't what they used to be. They've had a bit of a dodgy year, and uh well, nobody would have predicted it. Apparently, if you put 400 rand down, you would have got 27,000 rand back. Now, I'm no mathematician and or bookie slash gambling expert, but that means that it was a very, very big shock. <laughs> shock defeat that so there's so many things that we need to get through and of course we've only got an hour for the show but thanks for joining us we are going to go through with um, just a bit of intro of all the results that happened touch on the bot game ever so slightly but then we got some specialists last week uh, we had Derek Alberts and Johnny King from Australia sorry New Zealand he'll have me saying that this week Sean Wilson from South Africa along with along with Gobani Bobo from South Africa. Now, Sean is someone I've worked with in the past. Um, Sean is a fellow sports blogger, but one of the, and I've said it before, and I'll say it many times before, one of the sharpest minds in SA sport because, well, not only does he watch a fair amount of it, but he's got a great analytical brain, and I just can't wait to hear his thoughts on this SA Japan debacle because it is a debacle. Um, John de Villiers will say he can't quite put his finger on what happened or what went wrong. Heineke may echo such theories saying that it's just not good enough, but we know he's not quite sure either. I think the results and how this thing came about is just so obvious. It's so plain to see. I wrote a blog post yesterday on the bounce of Cedros today detailing how I see this result happened. And many of us, many of us are hugely optimistic about the box, especially when it comes to a World Cup year. You know, we, we're quite um, sentimental as South Africans. And uh, we went into this game thinking, you know what, we've had a bit of a dodgy year, but we'll definitely clap the Japanese because, hey, it's Japan and we're the Springboks and we do well in World Cups, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then that happened. So there's various ways and reasons, I think, and I think we all know them too. I don't think Hanika May is on the right path. I think that John de Villiers isn't quite going to be the guy we need him to be right now. And there is so much, everyone's just trying to cling on to something. But the problem is there's nothing to cling on to. So we're going to get into that. Sean's going to give us his insights on that. And then something I really want to bring up with Gabani later is that is the press and is the media going a little bit too soft on Hanika Mayer? We all have the same questions that come out in the press. And just for me to find that clip I just played you now, the inane, horrible, useless, and ordinary questions that go to these guys, it makes you actually want to vomit. It's like we all watch the game. We all know what's going on there. Don't say, how are the players feeling? Or where do you go from here? Those are the crap questions that these guys keep getting fed. And because they keep getting fed these terrible questions, they keep giving back the same cliched answers. So we need to get past that. And that's why I listen to Rugby Central right now. You want a more to-the-point 
idea of what's going on here. So I'm going to quiz Gabani about what's going on here. And what is essentially going to happen is the next step. None of this. We're going to go back to the drawing board. We're going to go back to basics and all that kind of stuff. We've heard that a thousand times. What is actually going on here? Is it a point where honey Americans actually say, you know what? I don't think we're on the right track. So we really, really are going to try something different because I think he would endear himself to the nation if he did such a thing. There's no point going on with the same stuff. People ridicule Honey Command nowadays because the, the trust has just been lost. Nobody can take him seriously anymore. But is he at a point now where honesty isn't even an option? Because he can't necessarily say, well, you know what, guys? I've actually cocked this up a little bit. My plan of having all these guys on reputation isn't quite working. And the fact we lost to Japan and we're kind of outmuscled and totally outsmarted probably suggests that I'm wrong. But you know what? I'm a big enough guy. I'm going to admit that. I'm going to change the team up. And I'm going to start with Jean de Villiers. I don't think he can say that because he's a proud man. And saying that will mean falling on the sword. And falling on your sword isn't something that happens in SA sport. We seem to lose this accountability. It's one thing saying to a nation, I'll take it on the chin and I'll say sorry. Yeah, sorry is cool. Sorry is what you say when you do something by accident, okay? Yes, no one intended to mess things up the way Hanukkah have done. But reality is reality. So we need to start kind of delving into that because suddenly Group B our group has become a group of death. Now, if you have the ability to turn a straightforward group into a group of death, then I think there's some pretty big questions and Hanukkah needs to start answering these. So that's going to be the sort of crux of the show. And then right at the end, uh, this morning on the Gareth Cliff show, every morning from six until nine, Rich Mulholland comes in and does a reality check. This morning, he targeted rugby and there is something on a psychological level I have to share with you, and that will be the last 10 minutes of the show. So to get straight into it and get a little recap of the results, if you haven't missed anything over the weekend, don't worry, Rugby Central on a Monday will definitely get you up to speed. And a lot happened in that first weekend. We had some strength versus strength uh, battles. Often in the World Cup, we have some one, one-sided affairs, but there were some really, really fantastic matches. Starting on Friday, England played against Fiji. Now, after this match, I thought the English are very much like the box. They're quite ponderous. They haven't quite got a lot going for them with ball in hand and attack. There's a lot of hype around them, but ultimately they kick away a lot of possession. Their forward pack is up and down, and maybe, you know, they're not as good as we think we are, as, as they are. And England did that, okay? So, yes, they beat Fiji with four tries. They got a bonus point, but Fiji were really out of their depth here. I just think Fiji are really good in the smaller stadiums. Get them in the big stadiums, very much deer in the headlights. Problem with the Bok, the Bok performance is that we can't even say we're as good as England right now. So that analogy is straight out the window. England, I think um, they're going to do well to get out of this group. I think they showed some frailties. They were quite indecisive. And again, that scrum was getting taken apart by a bunch of Fijians. Now, those guys aren't known for their scrumming. Yes, they're quite thick set, but this isn't a very particularly well-coached team. I mean, they took France Ludico away from the Bulls to say something. So England got a lot to do in that group. Uh, Wales, they also played at the weekend. They played yesterday. They beat Uruguay 54-9. Now, they suffered another couple of injuries. This was very much a sort of more uh, second-string Welsh team. So in the next match, which is against England, this is going to be the clash to see who really goes through because I think the Aussies will top this pool. I think with Wales' injuries and England being who they are, I think Australia can definitely top that one. So it's going to be all down to who does that, who does better in the in the Wales-England match. On Saturday, it started off with a really, really good game. If you don't mind uh, sort of indulging the minnows a bit, Tonga obviously favorites against Georgia, but Georgia tackled, they tackled, and they tackled. They tackled like the Japanese, and they eventually beat Tonga 17-10. Really cool game to watch that, actually. Well, it was better than watching Arsenal lose Chelsea. Um, being an Arsenal fan, that's obviously a view of one I do take. Then with Ireland, they beat Canada 50 points to 7. 
Nick Mallet made a fantastic reference prior to the Japan game by saying that Canada are kind of on the same level as Japan. So if we think we're as good as Ireland, we need to put 50 points on Japan. Well, we all know that. That one worked out. That's the next result. SA 32, Japan 34. France, they had a particularly... um well, nervy start when you think about it. That they often blow hot and cold in this tournament. Now, with Ireland already in their pool, you would think they would finish top. They haven't really got any opportunity to blow hot or cold here. So they managed to get over Italy and the challenge they possessed. That was 32-10 to the French. So now the French have a very interesting position in that if they beat Ireland, um, I don't see too many upsets coming from the rest of that group. If they beat Ireland, they can finish top. If they don't, they're going to play New Zealand. And uh, French being French, they don't really care. I don't think New Zealand actually want that. So I think they'll be rooting for France versus Ireland. Tomorrow they beat the USA 25-16. Those two uh, teams, of course, in South Africa's pool. Tomorrow being the Springboks' next opponent. Now, on the back of uh, Saturday's, well, let's just call it a result, the USA are going to give SA some troubles, and Scotland as well. They're also going to give some... Um, some troubles to the SA team. Scotland didn't play over the weekend. Only one in that pool not to play. And, uh, yeah, final result then. New Zealand 26, Argentina 16. A very interesting first half, which saw the All Blacks get given two yellow cards. Rich, Richie McCord decided to trip someone, which many say the rule state is a straight red card. Richie got a yellow, but I think there's only his third yellow in his entire career, which suggests that refs often take a blind eye to his uh, meddlings and play. But Richie's an absolute pro, so sometimes he hides it. Uh, Conrad Smith got given a yellow as well. So they were down to 13 men, and they were also 13-12 down at the break. Argentina, I think, could have really pushed home that advantage. Unfortunately, they didn't, and ultimately, when parity was restored player-wise, New Zealand just pulled away, because that's what New Zealand do. They have different game plans. They can identify situations, put players into space, and that's something the box just cannot do. I don't know if they cannot, cannot do it at all during this tournament or at all in general, really, because there's just no will to do this. So those are your results for the weekend. Um, no big surprises other than the SA versus Japan one. And uh, again, all credit to uh, Georgia. Just some really, really burly guys in that Georgian team. I think if it came down to a street fight, I think those guys would definitely make the, well, the semifinals. Okay, I'm going to play a little clip. And then on the back of this, we've got Sean Wilson telling us all we could learn from the SA versus Japan game, which I'm going to play a little clip from right now. Ba-ba-ba. ミッシュ、ラックボール。I actually wouldn't mind seeing that again just to get the the commentators. I mean, I'll suffer a buck loss, but just to get that reaction is quite something special. Sean, good morning. Thank you for joining me on this rather somber day in SA Rugby. Hello, hello, Ben. We've all got our Springbok postmortems, and um, some of us have luckier platform, well, lucky enough to be on nice platforms to give them. So thank you for bringing me in here. Yeah, I would have some pretty somber in- intro music for you, but I uh, thought we'd go away with that because, well, <laughs> insights are plenty, Sean. So where do we actually start amongst all of this? Well, let's go. First of all, Ben, I want to start off before we get too into it and too emotional, which I want to 
possibly apologize for that beforehand, before we get stuck in. The first point I want to get into is I want to acknowledge that this Japan win meant something for the rugby lovers in the rugby world far more than any Springbok pain this morning. It was... I'm, I'm thinking the same, yeah. You know, so I think that has to be acknowledged before we get carried away here. That was one of the highlights of rugby history. Yes, we are all mortified that it was at the Springboks' expense, and rightly so. But it really, it really was incredible. You listed it as one of the best sporting upsets of all time. I'm finding it very hard to disagree. There's very few examples that come to mind. And rugby's tried hard to grow this game uh, worldwide. And you try to do that through World Cups. One of the reasons I thought rugby was in trouble in terms of how it was going to get to the masses and appeal is that rugby is supposed to be the game where the outright underdog always gets walloped. I mean, if you can't tackle properly and you have a problem in the scrums, there's no way. Other sports, you might make a plan. Like in football, a Palooka team, one guy might connect perfectly with the right foot and it flies in the corner and you're 1-0 up against Brazil. Exactly. Get 10 men behind the ball someone might pull off beating Brazil. Exactly. You know? In a T20 match, you could win a toss yeah. on a docile pitch, give, whatever. Give me a club bowler on a green pitch that's pulled off hitting the seam that day. Yeah. He'll take wickets, you know? So that's, you have a chance. Rugby was a game that was found very hard for Minos to get in. And we, World Cups have been filled with cricket scores in the past. And the fact that Japan can do it in such a um, internal international environment, shall I say, their league is kind of hidden away from the rest of us. They get on with their own thing. They've hired a good coach. And to be able to pull off the state where you beat two-time world champions is really, if I wasn't a Springbok fan, it would have been one of my greatest days as a rugby fan. And the whole rugby world, apart from that rugby lovers, should be feeling the same way. Well, there was a clip that was going around of Irish people who generally do celebrate most things in life. Do, do, yourself, do yourself a favor. I did my analysis of the game this morning because uh-huh. I just, <laughs> after the game, I just needed to drink red wine. Yeah, and exactly. Tracy Chapman songs. <laughs> <laughs> and Sunday I had to give it a skip because I'm happily engaged and I need to keep it that way. I need to do <laughs> So I woke up early in the morning and did it. And before the final try happened, because I knew it was going to happen, I went, just do yourself a favor, Wilson. Just imagine you're a Japanese fan watching this right now. And if you do that and you ignore all Springbok pain for a second, it's uh, it's, it's it's an incredible thing. And if you look at the pictures, the security guards at the Brighton ground yesterday are wonderful guys to watch me, all of them jumping up and down. And it's obviously all Jap- uh, Japan in tears as well. Yeah. Uh, this, uh, Yes, at our expense, but... The, the ramifications for this, for the growth of rugby, is just wonderful. And it couldn't happen to a more deserving nation. You know, that, that whole saying of it's only a game. Sitting there as a box supporter, it, it, it made sense to me. It's only a game. We lost, don't worry. But when you look at those Japan supporters, it's not a game. There was something mm. so amazingly special and, about that. And I, I was actually kind of happy in the end. And bravo to the Springbok fans was going on Twitter that gave them a guard of honor off the bus or yeah, the train. Or the train. Yeah, I say? I mean, uh, hats off to you guys. Guys that have gone to England's 21 ran to the pound to deal with a Springbok defeat to have, to have, to create that little special bit of rugby nature and camaraderie. Congratulations to you. Yeah, it's cool. This all makes rugby decent as well. There's some good spirit amongst the fans and the players. You don't get this kind of stuff in football, seldom in cricket. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, so I'm, I'm quite proud of a lot of South Africans with that type of reaction, of course. But of course, (laughs) let's, let's move on to other critical aspects, which is, of course, what we need to deal with as South African rugby fans is how this game happens. Because today's about picking up the pieces. Yes. Now, um, this is, this is very hard for me to condense in quite a couple of lessons because there's, there's so many lessons here. But first of all, I think we need to start with the obvious one when it comes to the Springbok play, which is that the, the adage that size matters in rugby got a massive wake up call for us in a Springbok context. If it hasn't got a wake up call already in its sure. life, it really should have by now. But this was the game where it just got 
We just got killed. I want to get you by man of the match of this game was Fumiaka Tanaka. Mm-hmm. I didn't agree with that man of the match decision, incidentally, but be that as it may. Man of the match in a test match against the Springboks is a guy who's five foot five and 73 kilograms. 73 kilograms. Yeah, yeah. In the match where we bring in Peter Steff to toy instead of Sia Khaleesi because we need a big, burly, ball-carrying thing because that's yeah. how we play. Now that's, that, that for me, 73, riddle me that, Batman. 73 kilograms, five foot five is man of the match when size matters in a rugby game. It was, you know, of course size is important. I'm not, of, of course the collision is a massive element of rugby. I'm not sure. saying negate it completely, but it is almost irrelevant if you don't do it without a sense of trying to create space. And it was just, there was just such brick wall behavior going on by the, by, by the Springboks on Saturday that was taken advantage of by a team that played a hell of a lot smarter. And I got it. And, and look, I think we, we need to touch on it, but, um, that, that's the selection of Peter Steff to ahead of Sia Khaleesi was indicative of exactly that problem. I don't think Sia, uh, Peter Steff to had an awful game, depending on what he did. I thought he took his line out ball at the back, which I was worried about bringing him in because he Well, it was definitely one of his best games of the back. season. Yeah, and then again, it was his second game of the season, I and, think. And obviously he's not going to be running into space and asking the scrum half to switch play. And obviously he's not, you know, he's just going to be there. In open play as a ball carrier. Sure. And most of the times he ball carries, he, 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 he made meters against some reasonable tackling. He had a decent game, but it's just indicative of what's exactly what was not needed in, in that game. So I've just, that, that element, I've just, all work that had been done by the Springbok team, because remember the Springbok team was showing lots of promise really not that long ago and how it's kind of developed into this kind of lager mentality that that was the type of rugby that was needed. Yeah, it's like we're playing against Japan. We must therefore just bash into them because they're small. Ha, 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 ha. Yeah, well, mainly, or also what we'll touch on later, of course, which um, which Heinekamea said, of, obviously we were we underestimated the Japanese here and went about it quite arrogantly. That, uh, you know, that's that's um, that's an irrebuttable argument for me. Mm. You know, we, we, we didn't think that they would come up with that type of ability. Some of us thought maybe the spring, the Springbok team could have lost against a team that played, that offered up a performance of the same standard that Japan offered. Just none of us thought it would happen from Japan in this World Cup, you know? <laughs> but, um, but, but Heineken may have said, listen, we've looked at Japan and we've made the decision. We're just going to play our own game and that'll be enough to win. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm sorry. <laughs> it was just not, uh, we all know how that ended. So that, that that size matters things. It's a very simple lesson, one that should have been handed to us and is one that's been handed to us more dramatically than it ever has in Springbok history. Now, next aspect I want to look at, and this is the part I find the most unacceptable, is that we were the Springboks were outsmarted in every single aspect of play. Yes, it's a, it's a very good point that I knew you would bring up. It, absolutely every single one of them. Yeah, I, I can't, I can't find one. Kickoffs, line out, scrums, defense, alignment and tackling, Kicking when to hand, kick, when to run, um, when spaces, uh, what moves to call, when, when to kick for poles. Absolutely every t- element. Now, so that is the reality. We faced Japan in a World Cup game and were outsmarted in every single department. This is not 1992 anymore. It's Sorry, imagine that we left our, our rolling walls. I rolling think, walls, yeah. I think yeah, it was I, a draw. I think it was a draw. Let's Poss- not be, possibly let's not be a draw, too but, harsh. Let's, but let's say they were smarter because we have more muscle than they do. <laughs> yeah. You know, so if, so I'll I'll give them a point on that one. But yes, okay. Um, was yes. Yeah, so, so that's the reality. We're going there, outsmarted in every bracket. Now this is not 1992. It's not like we've been away from international rugby and it has developed 
against us. Sure. You know, and we now have to come and catch up. If that argument applies to anyone, it's Japan. Now, I mean, we have, um, we are the guys with players exposed to super rugby. They're playing the best week in, week out, day out. Coaches, players are exposed to it and the rugby championship. And when we go on overseas tours, unlike Japan, we get the creme de la creme of what the North offers. We get to play England and Scotland and Wales. So, I mean, yeah, just to kind of give you some perspective there, Japan have to have real games against Kazakhstan. Yes. Now, these are the, this is the might that they test themselves <laughs> against. Well, like, like at best, they'll get a second string whale side that feel they have bigger fish to fry. Mm-hmm. You know, they might, they'll get the odd test against Italy that they got to deal with. But let, um, I mean, obviously we respect Eddie Jones' CV and what a fantastic coach that he is. But it's, it's, this is not, we can't, we can't get in a situation where we are just outsmarted by someone else. It is, for, for me, that is, that is incredible. That is just, the most unacceptable part of the whole thing. Definitely. Yep. Oh, and discipline needed to be counted on. There's two passages of play. I've got match notes here. Some of them are stained by tears. <laughs> but um, there's two passages of play I really wanted to draw your attention to. Um, sometimes, sometimes, if you looked hard at that game, off a line-out, we managed to create a little bit of space off the first or second yep. phase and run a bit. There was one that happened in the 39th minute. By the 39th minute, we've clicked. We are in a test match now. Surely, you know, that this is not, if we're not winning this game 73, this is going to be a hard game by now. Surely they've clicked this. And the 39th minute, off the line out, which was round about uh, the halfway line, um, off the back of the line out, we brought in Loisi and Volvo off the blindside winger just to run in on a little crash. And then on the second phase, we brought in a dummy runner, made a couple of meters. It's a decent result. What do you do with the space after that? It went for 10 phases after that. Let me tell you though what those 10 phases were. One off runner, one off runner. One off runner, one off run off. Berg, um, Skulk Berg is standing at fly half. One off runner, one off runner. De Villiers going crash ball. One off runner, one off runner, and the turnover from a penalty. I would love to just put what you just said now to Heineke Mayer and say, okay, Heineke, what's the thinking behind this? Seriously, no, no. what's the thinking? <laughs> you know, because I mean, there it is. You've created, you know, against a team uh, that's provided a decent defense. Yes. Okay. There, there's got to be some way to create space. Even if you kicked it behind them, there's a far better argument than what I read you just now. Hmm. And that's, um, that was another thing. How we kicked for the sides that are supposed to kick. I mean, because the one reality is if, if we could have done the boring game, but if we did it slightly cleverly, we would have been fine. Exactly. Exactly. Well, 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 relatively fine. We might have won this match by 15 points and they'd still have a lot of questions to answer to on Monday. But back to your one-off runner, it happened so much that Skullberger essentially played fly-off the whole match. Absolutely. Pat Lambie must be so irate about this. Like, you, you finally get a chance to prove you're the pivot of this team, right? No, no, no. We're going to go one-off runner. Um, so essentially you'll probably play second center ultimately this game. And let's touch on Lambie quickly because the, the thing is, I mean, Lambie's been put in, but he's not making any decisions. Mm. There's no decision-making going on by the fly-off at the moment. So, and it was the same for Andre Pollard for most of the time when he was playing got dropped. I really thought going into 2015, we all thought that, well, a lot of us thought, me being one of them, that it, uh, the rugby championship could be used as an exciting shootout between two exciting fly halves yeah. in Andre Pollard and Patrick Lambie. Um, as it turned out, Andre Pollard is the guy that gets the lion's share of the chances. And he's kind of treated as like, right, you are going to be the running, creating fly half. If there's a gap, Andre Pollard is the one that's going to use it the most. And I honestly think Patrick Lambie's got himself into the situation. He only gets picked when we need to go the more reliable route. So Lambie finds himself, if I want to stay the Springbok fly half, Heineken wants to go conservative style at the moment. I got to be within my shell and just, you know, just stand around in this environment while Ruin Pinar keeps it's popping just, it to a once-off runner. So terrible. This game plan is disempowering a fly half. Like, 
if you were Ireland, right, uh, with all due respect to them, they have one fly-off. If Johnny Sexton breaks his leg today, Ireland go from semi-favorites to, well, they've had a good run. <laughs> we, we've got depth at fly-off. We've got legitimate guys that can play fly-off. Yeah, and and players around them that should be making decisions. It's just I'm I'm not saying Flaff is the only guy that should be making decisions, but he must be one of them. I saw very few passages play that was a Lambie decision. Pro- proximity to scrum half makes fly half essential. <laughs> um, now I want now I want to take this third point and meld it into the fourth point, which I want. The other passage of play that I need to work on is you know who was used as one off runner quite a lot on Saturday is Victor Matfield. Oh, first center. Yes. <laughs> now, if I could pick one forward in the pack, which is probably... Well, well, no, no, no. Let me not phrase it like that. Let me say it like this. If Matfield is going to stand in the back line and take a lot of ball, surely he's there for offloads. The whole point should be that there's rangy arms and stuff is be able to get offloads, and that's how yeah. he gets best. Because it's he's a, not your best bet to get over the advantage line. No, and he's also 30-something and probably isn't going to take crash ball for 80 minutes <laughs> times however many games we're going to play in this tournament. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, there's a moment here in the 66th, 66th minute, I think, and this was one of my favorite parts, is Matfield actually kind of got over through the tackle. He wasn't just chopped down. Like, the Japanese tackled so well on Saturday, yeah. though, on hard and just chopped down, as you wrote about and um, so presently in the article. Thanks, sir. Thank you. And, um, <laughs> and, and Matfield was there in a position to offload, and it was like a moment of like suspended animation there. There was actually no runner to offload to. Everyone had organized themselves to clean out the next inevitable rack because he's going to be a one-off runner. So he was looking and there was Ruan Pinar who tried to flick it off to and the offload actually went off going to ground. Now, if we are not prepared for a Victor Matfield offload when he gets the ball in the back line, what the hell is the plan when, when he gets the ball? So, I mean, he will get a lot of stick. But the idea is when he does the best case scenario, mm. we're not prepared for it. You had another question I'd like to post to Heineken Mayer. Yeah. That, uh, anyway, that ended up being a penalty that we kicked into touch. And this is one point I want to bring up is what's being criticized a lot and has been for ages is the, is, um, the decisions of when to take the points and when to kick for points. Now, there's two facets here. I want to criticize it and I also want to blow out the water some, uh, what, what I think is, um, people making mistakes the way they analyze rugby games sometimes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when, you know, you get a penalty and you could kick for poles and the captain kicks for touch, what does the rugby, what does a lot of rugby fans do? They just go, well, that's three points I'm adding in my head. Yeah. And then they kick for touch again and, and they adds another three points and another three points. I'm hearing a lot that the Springboks threw 15 points away. That is not accurate for me. For one thing, as you alluded to in your article, we scored two tries from, from it. So mm-hmm. if, if, if you're going to just add on the points that we supposedly issue, you have to add in the points that we actually scored from exactly. doing it. So there's, there's a little bit of that that we got to work on from my first half. For what it's worth, in the first half, I kind of throwing away nine points. Another thing that people do is if you kick to touch and then on the same visit to the 22 from that line out, you get another penalty. People add six points on that in the theoretical thing. It's not that. It's yeah, the same visit. No, you don't, beyond the floor. You don't have two goes at it. So I'm just, so I'm not saying I agree with it. And if anything, I wanted us to kick for poles more just because the Springboks needed to slow down the game on Saturday. And there's no better way to slow down the game, especially when we clicked we were in a test match. There's no, there shouldn't have been any bonus point argument when we were in danger of losing, which was the problem in throughout the match. And especially when the bonus point is already secured and you're sitting on a seven point lead and then we kick for the corner. And that's the one that is killing me right now. Because, 
look, we are in a, we are, I mean, we're in a test match here. You, uh, they've already gone for polls beforehand, by the way. So they, they, you, don't tell me like that we were too dear in the hide the headlights and we weren't thinking clearly here. Sure. You know, you kick, you know, kick that 13 minutes left. That goes over 10 point lead. The game's probably killed and you get five and you get five log points from this. So why are we kicking for the corner? And then when we kick for the corner, we didn't even go for the rolling mall, which has given us success. We tried to create another mall along yeah. the sideline. I knew you were going to bring this and up I don't, because this is one of the most branded moments of the whole game. Absolutely. And I don't want to, and, and I don't want to do my pet hate in South African media, rugby media, which is just to paraphrase what Nick said after the game. Um, and I'm sure we all listen to why that's a horrible idea, but, um, it was quite obvious to anyway while breaking blind a different mall when rolling malls have scored tries against these guys. Um, is a very, very poor idea. And you've got five meters to go forward. You've already mauled yep. 10 or so and you have scored. Yeah. For me, that is nothing but disastrous leadership that has to be taken. Sure. Yeah. Would that be the conclusion of your five points? Um, pretty much. Because you just said disastrous leadership right now. Before we get into Kobani, who's got a different sort of take on this. Um, Sean Villas, we have to touch on this because if people say, what's going to happen selection-wise? What's the first thing that's going to change? Well, it's got to change there. Now, in my opinion, again, I correct me or add, add your opinion if you want. Sean Villas isn't sure of his place right now. So there's very mm. panicky elements of his play. When you see a guy just diving to try to lay a hand on someone in defense, there's a lot of issues, huge issues there. Firstly, maybe footwork mm. didn't get in the right position. You've been caught napping. Whatever it is, you're not in the place you need to be, which is very, very telling, right? Now, when that thing goes on to how you lead a team, equally panicked, you know, it's, mm. we just alluded to some pretty bad calls no one can deny. The whole package says this isn't going to work, right? So now he's got to justify his spot. Now, you can't justify a spot and lead a team with confidence because when you get behind the eight ball, as they say in these matches, you need a captain who's pretty calm, knows what to do, has got a hell of a lot of belief. If the guy hasn't got belief in his own play, sure he doesn't have any belief in whatever game plan they don't have. This all adds up to one massive, massive insert expletive here. Yeah, look, Jean will go down as a fantastic springbok in history. Yeah, and, and, no and it was absolutely wonderful. I have enormous respect for him. But we just got to, this is not, this is not personal. We just have to take it what we see as viewers, as decision making on the field and in tactics. And the evidence has been that it's poor. So, and if, so poor. And, and if people are going to take responsibility, they must go through and act through it properly. The thing that's, um, one thing about this year that I think needs to be looked at very importantly in this context is a lot of words are going to go around on Monday like, uh, well, the players will look at themselves. They'll come right. We'll have an honest session, blah, blah, blah. We lost to Argentina in Durban this year. Comprehensive. That, that was when this, you know, the players have had a shot to take responsibility and think back. And that's the performance I was coming up with. And that was the decision-making that came up with. You played a clip earlier of Jean saying how he thought the decision-making was calm. Now, I don't want to criticize him too much about how he was after the game because he looked like he saw a ghost. And to be honest, I couldn't blame him. Can and he had a massive shine. It looked like he was beaten up with a lead bar. Yeah. Can you imagine doing a post-match press conference as a captain after you've mm-hmm. uh, lost to spring, uh, after you've lost to Japan? I would... I've, I've I got so much respect for him as a human being, but right now I just don't think he's the man that should be there. And I think we've all got to take a very yeah. sort of unsentimental viewpoint on this. As to say that, you know, we actually, we, we're against it right now. But it's we're like, not easing into anything. We are really fighting for what we've got left yeah. in this tournament. But also, Ben, it's not just him. Hey, I mean, that squad has got leaders all over it. There are 851 caps there. I don't even, I don't think I even touched on my worst aspect of the game, which was the discipline. Mm. The discipline was appalling. 15 to 16 penalties? 
Yeah. Against uh, the, if Japan's and, putting you under that much pressure, what's and, the real team going to do? And the variety of penalties as well. I mean, there was offside, there was hands in, tackles not rolling away was probably the most prevalent. And Japan had 45% of possession. Yeah. It's not like they were, it was like 60, 65, they're on our line all the time and you're just trying to get a penalty to slow the game down, which can be understood if not condoned by a referee. Mm. It, it was it was always on like second or third phase ball. Someone has managed to keep in discipline. Someone has done something ill-disciplined, and that should be such a controllable within the Springbok environment. Yeah, and amidst especially in a World Cup where you put all this preparation into it, yeah, there's just no excuses. Yeah, I'm I'm just I'm I've, I'm quite <laughs> upset about that. Okay. Um, take it away for a little bit, Ben. Sean, sure, um, look, your um, point your points are brilliant as always. Um, are we going to be getting on your blog every single book match things we've learned? Yes, we will. Um, not because I, I think knowledge is power, and as Bok fans, we can all have a little bit of a giggle afterwards, but we need to know what's going on here, and I think guys like you are the ones that really bring it home. I'm not going to do it in the things we learned format, because uh, to be honest, it's, 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 that's become a bit of a competitive <laughs> industry where, um, where, where I well, think you want to shine a bit more, invest, but, there is going to be, but there is going to be some columns to take place. Also, what I've got to click on, there is a lot of talk about how, don't worry guys, we can salvage this, we can get to the semi-finals still people throwing stats at me about how people have still lost their pool games and got to the final i find that i find it remarkably inappropriate after we've lost a game of this magnitude to speak about anything beyond the game against samoa the next game spot on and what i need against samoa what i need to see and i'm and i'm sorry if some of you think demanding of the springbok coach is what it's worth i think i've got a little bit of an emotional contract with these guys where uh, it's, uh, there's a give and there's a give and receive feeling. What I need to see is that these guys go away this week, know that they're playing Samoa. I want them to plan against Samoa. Mm-hmm. I want them to show, to show each other, this is what Samoa brings. These are the pros. These are the cons. Don't just come with your own game and exactly. think that it's going to get away. And I want to find a game plan that shows that you've created something to counter that. And then we can do, and then we can, move on from there yeah. hopefully that's successful and then we can think about scotland exactly sean so yeah, yeah it is it's very much about the next game the whole thing we can still win this this is just reactive cliche talk which no one actually needs and i think we're not that stupid anymore i think if no. anyone in that box camp wants to throw those lines at us then um i think they need to actually realize what's going on here anyway yeah. good morning Bob, we're coming up next but what i'm going to do is i'm going to play a little clip here and this is once um what I want to bring up in the next interview is that is the media a little bit too soft question wise when it comes to these post match conferences? Now, England got pumped by the Springboks a while ago at Twickenham. It was like 42 6 or something. Martin Johnson was hauled over the coals yeah. by uh, a journalist. I'm going to play this interview, and on the other side of this, we're going to have Gubani Bobo. Defeat at Twickenham, humiliating is a word that springs to mind. If that's not the right word, what is? It was a heavy defeat, and it was, it was difficult and uncomfortable. But. Um you know, again, we've created lots of, in fact, probably more try score opportunities than we have done in the first two games. Um, we just didn't take them. And um, at times we've been on attack and gone 75 yards the other way to concede, and uh, it's, that's killed us in the game. You know, our players didn't stop trying right to the final whistle, and they were creating chances right to the end. We just didn't take any of them. The execution was poor in the final third, and um, we've suffered a, a very heavy defeat. And uh, the guys are desolate in there. And I said to them, look, it's about character this week. We've got to get our heads up. Um, and it's, it's about people standing up and, and all of us as a group, players, management and coaches, um, getting on with the job. You talked about the points that you left out there. What about the 42 you gave away? Yes, 
it's going to kill him, isn't it? You're chasing the game. You're 26 points, uh, 20 points or six down during the first half. You're chasing the game a little bit. We said at half time, let's do it step by step. We had to score the next points. We didn't. We conceded a, we conceded a try pretty quickly. Um, then it was very, very difficult in terms of trying to win the game and get back into it. But we created plenty of chances after that, and we didn't take them. And we just, you know, we could have had two or three tries ourselves. That's all what ifs. And uh, on the scoreboard, it's. Um, it's, you know, it's a heavy defeat, and that's, that's just massively disappointing. You can throw stats around here until the cows come home, Martin, but, I mean, they made, what, 10, by my calculation, 10 visits to the 22, scored 36 points. We made seven, or England made seven, no points whatsoever. I mean, you're a good gut instinct rugby man. What does that tell you about a team in that position? You just said it. We didn't, we didn't score points. You just stated the obvious. Yeah, why? Sure. Why? We didn't execute in their 22 grand, did we? We didn't, we didn't put chances away. We created try-scoring opportunities, and we didn't put them away. Now, we just have to have a little bit more composure and back ourselves to score tries. You said that last week, though, Martin. I mean, a lot of mistakes this week look very familiar to last week. I mean, definition of daftness is making the same mistakes repeatedly. Did England, were England daft today? You've got young players out there making decisions in, in difficult international circumstances. They've played a team whose defence was very good. At times today, we've created chances and um, we're stopped by good defence. You know, the chance in the first half, Dylan had. Uh, I think back is Bota and um, it might have been Peterson got across and stopped us scoring. So, we're not, you know, it's not changed. 80 minutes of rugby's not changed. We created more opportunities in that game than probably England have against Africa in the last three or four times they've played them. But uh, as I say, we've learned a brutal lesson. You could easily, Martin, have made a few changes after the Australia game and, and you chose not to make as many as many people thought that you might. Did you feel your faith in the team was repaid today? It's not about my faith in the team. It's about us learning and growing as a team. And they're our best players. It doesn't change. 80 minutes doesn't change it. Are they still your best players? shop and change the team every week. It's not going to get us any better. They... We have to have faith in the guys we've got there. But are they still your best players right now? Do you think that right now, instinctively, they're your best players? Yes, of course they are. They're our best young players. And they've had a very heavy defeat. And they're desolate about it. And as I said, we've got to put it right. Uh, it's all going to be about character this week. And you'll, put a, you'll pick up next week? Well, we'll see. We'll, we'll name the team in the, on Tuesday and we'll go from there. But if by definition they're your best players, you'll pick them next week, won't you? Our squad is the best squad of players we've got and from that we can pick our best team. New Zealand, is that the perfect game to be having next week? Okay, so you get the idea. That, that reporter there, he is just going on and on and on at him because what happens is we get these big losses and then it's the same questions like, so what's the plan for next week? Coach goes, well, you know, I think we just need to get back to our structures and uh, we need to take a long, hard look at ourselves here and, you know, we need to take uh, responsibility for this, blah, 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 blah. What that guy was doing is he was making Martin Johnson accountable for every single word. He was actually asking him, if this is the not the best uh, group of players, are you going to pick them again? Or this is terrible. You said the exact same thing last week. Now, I'm going to bring, bring in Gabani Bobo because he, of course, being you know, a former Bok, he knows what it's like to run on the green and gold. He's also been involved in coaching, uh, heavily involved in the media, of course, and does call the games on Supersport. Now, Bobs, is it right in saying that perhaps the media is a bit soft in what they talk to Honey Kamea about as far as um, the backlash of these losses? Um, you, you could say that because I mean it is one of those shocks that everyone. I mean, I'm still trying to recover and trying to figure out what the hell happened. But uh, it's um, it's one of those where you look at it and you think maybe more technical questions should have been asked in terms of what was it um, as rugby only about being physically dominant over people. Uh, I mean, we talk about it. We know that. And rugby, the one of the most greatest areas and not what's been keeping people alive now is the breakdown because anyone can, can dominate on the breakdown. And, um, and we tend to always look for contact and take the ball into the breakdown where it becomes difficult, where, um, you find teams that keep the ball alive and, and try and avoid as much of that. 
um, they tend to be more successful. Well, I'm glad you bring the breakdown because that's just one aspect. Now, one of the big things we all took out of that match was that Jean de Villers and Heineken Mayer both said, we don't really know why we lost this. Now, you just brought up the breakdown. Sean and I have been discussing various things at length uh, prior to this. Sean, of course, knows lots of rugby because he went to Rondebosch as well. And... Um, <laughs> So we get to these press conferences and I was listening to as much as I could, but it was just so boring. I mean, like John Robbie brought up a point saying, you guys didn't score any tries from the backline move. Japan did. Is this worrying to you? Now, I think more questions actually have to come up and he needs to basically answer some because right now I think the rugby public has the impression that he doesn't know what he's doing. Now, you would know more than this. Heineken is not, yeah. not a stupid guy. He definitely does know what he's doing. But yeah. what what is cloud? Where's the disconnect between his technically superior rugby brain, which we all know, we've all seen him exhibit, to what is going on in that Bok team right now? Where do you think that these things are losing and getting lost in translation? I think, I think what, what we have to look at is the, the mindset of the players and where they are within their own rugby careers and within their um, where they start and how they came into to, to where they were. If you find if you find that 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 was probably the most disjointed frame of play we've seen in a while, where players seem to not too sure what their really plan was. Um, I mean, the, the, there's very simple ways. When you look at the, the try that was scored against us, it's a similar play that um, Australia did against us in the rugby championship, where they isolate the ten and the twelve, and they, they expose us with a blind win. And, and then you, you, you think mostly, I mean, we picked a team with lots of experience, but then even with all of that experience, you could see the players were not communicating. There was like mostly frustration and emotions in their faces, not with the plan of let's calm down. This is what we want to do. They are doing this. Are they coming up a bit harder on, on the, on their line? They're coming up very hard. We saw what Samoa did against uh, when they played. They put the ball behind the players against USA by putting grabbers and little clever kicks so they can keep the, the defensive line on the on the back foot. I thought that's where we, we really do lack in South Africa. And it's not just at the Springbok level. It's just the communication coming in from the outside and actually reading the play. We almost tend to put and base everything on the first receiver, which is the number 10. And all the time, he's trying to control a whole... Uh, play when the forwards and the backs and making sure that the patterns are played, that the right patterns. But then at the outside backs, I mean, you've got Brian O'Brien, more than 100 test caps. Uh, you got Jean de Villiers, you would think that those players could actually see and feel that. So for me, it seemed like as if the players were trying to look after themselves just individually and no one was really taking a proper concerted effort where they even, everyone is working together to achieve a goal plan. I mean, if we're getting chopped and we can't get over advantage line, so why do we want to give them something to tackle? So true. Well, the very first question that would come up then is that how do we change this and do we actually have the structure to change it? Um, Neil Manthorpe, a journalist that I hold in high regard, he suggests that Heineken May is actually too far gone now in what he's been trying to do to even be honest and say, you know what, I don't think my plan's working. So, all things considered, what do you reckon Heineken's next move is? I think, I think another thing, I mean, I know now it's all in hindsight, is if you look in terms of his uh, management, uh, and then you think with all the, the, the people that are there to help him, um, why don't we have a much more experience? I think Jake Watt was the guy who brought Eddie Jones because now he could have a point of reference which was different to what he was hearing all the time. And I think that's where we sort of lack. I think, I think this is, uh, I mean, we do have right intellectual property here in South Africa where you've got uh, one of the coaches, uh, one of the most successful coaches in the, in the international era where 
John, John Mitchell, he coached him through the World Cup in 2003. And you look at these uh, records, uh, 20 games played, 18, lost only two for the All Blacks. And you think to yourself, if you've got that, that intellectual property around with you available, maybe that's when we need to start having those consultancies which can come in with just a profit, like perfect because he will come in from the outside point of view and he can actually do the, the analysis and the breakdown of the team where now he can be kept honest. How can we change it around? I think he has to make a few calls and speak to other people because I don't think the group that he has at the moment around him is really helping him much because at the end they could not advise him to see that the players were shooting a bit higher. So let's go behind them, make sure that we don't give him anything to tackle and in that way we collect the points as much as we can. But it's almost like they've created a bit of a bubble now uh, around their whole thinking. It's like they've invested everything into this game plan. They haven't really got anything else. If you know, just get touching back on your point about John Mitchell, he was a guy who also consulted with the English rugby team prior to going back to um, New Zealand. So it's a wealth yeah. of a, a wealth of experience, also a wealth of experience in those conditions. Like we haven't got any sort of guy who I don't know has either coached a club there or has done something in those conditions and knows what the grounds are going to be like or just the way of play. So uh, I, I really do enjoy your point. I think it's something we often overlook is that, sure, head coach is one job, but it's very much a team. I mean, with the British and Irish Lions travel, I think it's a separate plane just for the coaching staff. So you almost feel like Heineke's trying to take on too much. He's a very proud man. You know, he's the first thing to say, you know, I take all responsibility, which is all good and well. But it's like you don't have to. There's enough money for another employment somewhere on there. You know, you can you can shed the expertise. It's uh, yeah, wow. It's I mean, just painful. You, you look at it. You say you say that. I mean, Brennan Spencer has been a consultant for the Saracens for the last, uh, I think, since 2009, and he's gone on to become second in the league there in the Aviva Premiership. He's gone on to win a few with uh, with the Saracens. He's got the Saracens into the final of the of the of the um, European Cup. Uh, and he is the man that is already on the on the ground there. I mean, he's a guy that he could have consulted throughout his last four years. You just feel that um, we were a bit short-sighted in the way that we went about it. And at the end, you can't really... Rugby has become so... I mean, I remember 2011, the Minos were supposed to be called. The only thing that they were good at was their defensive lines and patterns. So they could they could hold teams down so they don't score many points. Now they've gone further. They've taken it now. It's eight years down the line. They've gone, okay, fine. What can we do? Let's develop our game. That's our skills. That's our decision-making. Because now with decision-making and skills, I mean, I remember in that last game that we played, 100 pull-out, after we scored that kick to make it 32-29, kicked the ball downfield. And from there, Japan kept the ball for 18 phases. Now, think about our plays and our patterns and how we went. I don't think we kept the ball for more than actually three phases or four phases if it was not from a pick-and-go. Yeah, I, th- I think Sean, Sean pointed out we had eight phases. There was eight pick-and-goes. Let me to get that accurate. There was 10 phases, eight pick-and-goes, one burger standing at fly-off, which is essentially a pick-and-go for me, and yeah. uh, and Jean de Villiers going crash ball. That's yeah. that, that's ten phases. Just yeah, to, I can, it's, I can, it's the same kind yeah, of thing. It's, it, you're saying that uh, that it didn't go beyond four phases. I can definitely confirm that in my match notes. Absolutely. Okay, so <laughs> so just a final point where I let you go here is that um, people are often there's a lot of talk around Honey Kamea has already got another four years. Now I think to go back to his next move, 
it's a kind of not falling your sword completely and say, look, guys, I've actually failed because let's not get too drastic here. It is a tough job. And I think too many people actually want this job after Heineken Mayer anyway. But just like you said, you've got to have another couple of voices here and there. You've got to be able to big enough for the fact that rugby has evolved hugely, massively. So to bring in consultants isn't going to be the worst thing. We don't have to kind of yeah. completely keep chopping every single structure we build up in SA Rugby. And even though I don't think Heineken Mayer is potentially the right guy, teams make these things work. So he needs to make a call on that by himself and just actually shirk a bit of all this, this load he's taking on. You'll probably find that if you get a different voice, you could say the same thing. Just because it comes from a different voice, people will actually just react a bit more. Because I remember that has always been the case of if we're trying to uh, encourage players and just give them something different, just the way another person explains something is just somehow, it just makes much more sense. Maybe they're just much more articulated about the way that they're going about it. There's more keen detail to what they want to do. And then in that way, then you have those voices and somewhere to bounce off ideas because at the end, you can't run the ship by yourself. When you look at the New Zealand uh, coaching stuff, I mean, Hanson, Wayne Smith, uh, you got, you got uh, the, the, all the coaches that are there. What they normally do each year, they revolve around and they change their, um, what they're supposed to be. If you're an attacking coach now, the next day you become a defensive coach. If you're the, 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 the breakdown coach, the next day you become whatever coach. So in that way, you're always keeping yourself abreast with the game. And in that way, you always want to challenge each other. And that's where your intellectual rugby group intelligence sort of grows in that space. Because now you've got a different way of approaching seeing things. Now for the players, that's a different voice that's coming in to actually do the same kind of similar job. In that way, so everyone constantly they're getting the best out of each other. Yeah, spot on, Bob. So, well, we have to cut it off there. It's actually so true. It's like your dad can tell you a thousand times not to smoke, and then your cool uncle will yeah. say, "You know what? You shouldn't yeah. probably shouldn't do that." <laughs> cool, man. Thanks That's so much. For, th- thanks so much for your insights. You have to cut it off there, uh, Sean. We've got one little more as- one aspect here. I'm talking about different voices this morning on the Gareth Cliff Show, uh, Rich Mulholland, who brings us the reality check. He came in and he had this to share with us. We're going to finish off with this. I, I didn't want to take the easy one this week of of the rugby, but I kind of do, and I want to talk about rugby fans. All right. Well, Ben's on your. On your page, let's go. Yeah, yeah. I saw, I saw a pretty guy saying, hardest working man on Twitter this week. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so here's the thing. So uh, I think that we're doing a lot of outsourcing, and I think we're trying to outsource our uh, masculinity and strength and national pride to 15 people, and I think it's bullshit, and I don't think we get to play that card. <laughs> You're not allowed to take guys losing as a personal affront. Like somebody came along and said, you know what I'm going to do today? Let's us 15 guys go out in there and shit on their pride. There mm. wasn't like an intent that people went, but that's how people are acting. People are acting like somebody intentionally did this to them. Now, I understand why this is so important. In uh, 1994, mm. there was a study done, uh, and this was just before the World Cup. It was done by Georgia University, and it was between the Brazilian and the Italian football fans. Right. And what they did is they took swabs from their saliva, and they measured the testosterone. A second sampling was then taken by the fans again, mind you, the fans, not the players, after the game. Mm-hmm. And after the game, uh, the Italian players, who uh, the Italian team lost, their testosterone levels dropped by 27%. Wow. And the, the Brazilian fans, their testosterone levels increased by 28%. Because wow. they'd won. Because they'd won. So this is just the fans. They're actually feeling like they're more manly. Right. In a second study, they actually did a, a test, another study about Indiana and a University, demonstrated how hardcore fans of both genders were more optimistic about their sexual appeal. 
after a game that was won by their team. So they're hmm. basically, so basically why people are so upset is that they're less likely to get laid and because they're shriveled up little watsits. Now I kind of feel this is unfair. I, I felt was, like I was turning into Caitlyn Jenner. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I didn't even watch. Yeah, no, me neither. <laughs> So, so I was, so I actually did only just watch, uh, via Twitter and it was, it was quite hilarious watching the, the changing sentiment analysis of yeah. the curve. But, um, you can't keep doing that. You can't keep outsourcing, sitting there talking. First of all, you don't get to have an opinion when the last time you did anything vaguely sporty was in matric. Uh, and that was when it was forced. And so, that's what most people on Twitter are doing is they're projecting their own problems onto these 15 men. Right. So the opiate for the masses, uh, uh Mark. Call it 16 because of Heineken Mayer. Yes. Uh, in fact, as he's probably counts as five of the, like, he gets a, a bigger vote given the amount of shit he's been getting. But for me, you, you've heard of Mark's book about uh, religion being the opiate for the masses. Yes. And I think that it's only one of the opiates. I think there's other ones as well. I think uh, alcohol for me is one. I think um, uh, sports Sport. is one. Mm-hmm. And the idea that my life is shit, uh, but if I watch sport and my team wins, I feel like a winner. And that's what this study proved is people actually do feel like they're more winning and they're doing better things. And I think what we have to do is we have to turn around and say, well, you know, if you're going to whine a lot, like go out there and, and earn your own testosterone. Like if you're really that upset, go in. I don't care if it's competitive tiddlywinks. Okay, that was sorry. That was Rich Mulholland. Um, Sean, that was a that was a show in itself. Uh, the earning your own testosterone yeah. thing. But uh, excellent, excellent stuff. I wanted to touch on all the Twitter reactions. Unfortunately, you didn't have enough time. Kafalok uh, dot com on Twitter. He was just saying how abusing Heineken Mayer isn't going to help anything. So I wanted to touch yeah. on that. Unfortunately, I've got enough time. I do agree, but it is quite difficult to be a fan and just take this on and on and on. Anyway. Earn your testosterone this week, and you can do so by healthy exercise, uh, playing some social sport or whatever it may be. But if you want to stick to the rugby, these are the fixtures we're going to look ahead to. Just quickly run through in our Group B as 23rd of September. So that will be what? Wednesday. Wednesday onwards. Look, got Scotland versus Japan. Same day, Australia, Fiji. Same day, we've got France versus Romania. Next day, Thursday, we've got New Zealand versus Namibia. Now, Friday, Argentina, Georgia. Saturday, Italy versus Canada. Saturday, SA versus Samoa. That's our big redemption game there. Saturday, we've also got England versus Wales. That, of course, I think will be the decider in Group A. And then on Sunday, Australia versus Uruguay. Scotland versus USA. And Ireland versus Romania. That is it for Cliff Central for this week. My guest, thank you so much, Sean. Sean is at simply Sean with an underscore at the end, and that is called Sean S E A N. If you want to find him on Twitter, and Gobani Baba, that's G C O B A N I B O B O. Else on Twitter, follow those two guys throughout the tournament, and you can stay and uh, stay abreast with all their amazing insights. Thanks so much. If you have not listened to all of this, you can catch the podcast clipcentral.com and follow me on Twitter as well at follow the bounce. Sean, anything just to finish off with? Oh, look, look, <laughs> time will heal, folks. As amazing as it's like, time will heal. One day, one day, it'll just be that time. Remember the time that Japan beat the Springboks. And, and galvanized them into an unlikely and, success. And we'll still feel a bit sorrow, but it will, but, but, but it will be okay. Okay. But we need to. Very good. All right. Well, in, well in Japan and, uh, keep it on the World Cup. It's going to be one of the most fascinating sporting spectacles in our lives. Catch you next time. This is cliffcentral.com.